Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone, welcome back to Royal Rouge Podcast in the in the wake of a glorious, magical FA Cup weekend. We're joined on the show this week by a man I'm sure who is familiar to many of you. He's a, he's a, can I call you a stalwart of Tottenham Twitter, Adam? Yeah, I think I've been on there since 2010, so uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've paid my dues I think. He's the artist who also formerly featured on the Tottenham Way Podcast, so many of you may have listened to that. But yeah, it's Adam Nathan, hello Adam, welcome to the show, how are you doing mate? I'm well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I mean, we've spoken quite a lot over the years. Um, and I think, I think we used to beef quite a bit back in the day when we were young, young, rutting stags, <laughs> you know. I think nowadays we're just old and a bit too jaded to be asked of any of that, aren't we, mate? But um, how are you, just to, just to get a kind of idea of where you're feeling, how are you feeling anyway, at least, with regards to Tottenham? How is, how is everything for you right now? I, uh, I did a show last week with Spooky, and I think I said, and this is probably going to be my view for the whole season, if Arsenal didn't exist, I'd probably be able to enjoy this season and the rest of it so much more than I currently am, because we all know there's a massive building job that needs to be done. I am fairly content that the people in place, certainly managerial-wise, are there to oversee it. Um, and if we could just watch the games try and win maybe scrape into Europe that'd be so great but then Arsenal have come along with this just incredibly annoying everything and I've now got that urge more than ever to want to finish above them so I'm kind of having my uh, my pragmatism very much challenged by the fact that every point matters so much just to try and stay above them because I just can't be bothered for the bullshit if they finish above us it's, it's funny because I've, I've seen like an array of answers on this subject um, but are are they back for you? I mean, we're not no. talking like Invincibles back, but top four contenders, are, are they back in that conversation now, do you think? I don't think so. I think Arteta is one of the most performative frauds <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, and actually, a mate of mine mentioned that since Conte turned up, he thinks Arteta's been much more demonstrative on the sidelines, um, started to use the same words like suffering and things like that, like just little bits as, as if he almost feels quite intimidated by... Uh, you know, a much bigger dog being on the same patch. So, um, I mean, Arteta does strike me as one of the worst people to ever grace the face of the earth. Um, he doesn't so, look like a nice man, does he? No. And even like take, you know, taking off the left back after half an hour yesterday, like, all right, mate, we get it. Like, I mean, it's, it's a complete pretend club anyway. Like no one actually supports Arsenal. You support like a brand and it's all kind of, you know, who can shout the loudest, isn't it? So, and he just fits in with that so, so well. Do you, would you would you have been concerned about them if they'd have gotten 
I don't know, say Graham Potter, for example. Where do you stand on Graham Potter, actually? That's an interesting one. I think he's a really good manager. Yeah, I, I would have had him at Spurs. Mm, definitely. Yeah, but I mean, would, it, would that have concerned you had they? Because I, I, still, I still have this fear that they are going to sort of wise up to Arteta. Because um, I, I, well, I say this, I'm so inconsistent on this because I was, I was very much like you in terms of, yeah, I think Arteta's shite, but I'm, st- I'm just starting to worry in a, in a strange way that maybe he's just, I don't know, maybe, maybe the stars are just aligning in quite a good way for them and they might, because they've got a few good young players, they still kind of, they speculate a lot, you know, and they seem to get fairly lucky of late, at least with a few other signs. I think that Gabriel lad's good and... Uh, is it the Japanese right back that we were supposedly mm. after? I think he's actually turned out to be quite a good player. I mean, the whole back five has been bought for about 180 million there or thereabouts. So you'd kind of expect it to be good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Ben White's um, decent, isn't he? As well, he's mm. a very good player. And the keeper's doing well, so you know they should be doing well for the money they spent. But enough, enough. I know, I know exactly. Nonsense. I know it's repulsive, isn't it? I don't know what I'm doing. I've, I've lured you, <laughs> lured you onto a Tottenham pod to uh, get you to wax lyrical about Arsenal. We don't want to be doing that. Um, let's let's right. Let's start with Morecambe. I mean, shit show at first. Well, shit show throughout. Really, we were saved by you know the big guns coming off the bench. It's just. It's, it's, I don't want to be too pearl clutchy about it because, like you say, it's a work in progress. Conte's only been here five minutes, but it's again, it's another kind of damning indictment of a lot of those squad players, isn't it? It is, although I think it's a really tough one. Well, at half time, I was obviously raging, and then you sit down at the end of the game and try and think about it with a bit of rationality. And there, there is still a lot of me that thinks that most of those players... Um, would be okay as the 10th or 11th man in the first team. Yeah. And I think the problem comes with putting them all together in the same team. And I guess the evidence to to confirm that would be the last four or five years when managers have consistently done that and they never win. Now, in fairness, it used to be that players like Mora um, and Davies, for example, were in that second team because the first team was so much better. And, you know, you could obviously the standard of the whole squad has dropped to a point where now some of those previous second team players are unfortunately, you know, in the first team at the moment. But it it does strike me that it must be harder than we think to just throw nine or ten players who are out of form and out of any sort of rhythm into a team and expect them to to do anything against any team, really. Yeah, and I, think, I do think just to sort of disagree with myself a bit... And I know it's kind of this old sort of like, you know, whatever gammon rhetoric and stuff about the magic of the FA Cup. But I still do think that is a thing. Like a, a mm-hmm. team like Morecambe coming to, you know, the new White Hart Lane or the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, as we should be calling it nowadays, <laughs> apparently. Um, it's it's a big deal, right? And they are going to up their game. And they, I, thought, I actually thought Morecambe played pretty well in the first half. Um, as much as Spurs weren't great, they were, they were defensively sound. And we did have trouble breaking them down, which I think that that's more the alarming part for me is, again, it's Spurs struggling to break a team down that sets mm. up kind of sort of pretty turgidly defensively. Um, I say that, but they, they went into the break 1-0 up, didn't they? So, I mean, yeah, they, they can't have been that defensive. Um, were there any... Uh, I mean, obviously, we'll get on to Tanga and Dombele, um, <laughs> who I don't actually think had a particularly terrible performance, but... Were there any sort of standout figures in that team for you? If we're talking about these kind of these these players who might be on the periphery of the squad, 
who would you let go other than Matt Doherty, obviously? Um, one of my favourite phrases uh, comes from the NFL and there's uh, a manager said, you know, we, we never practice without our quarterback because if we don't have our quarterback, we're fucked and we don't practice fucked. And that is very much how I feel about Galini. Oh. Um, if he had to have a six-week run in the team, like I think he is markedly worse than a Gazaniga, even a Vorm. And to be honest, like, you know, Morecambe played on that really well. You know, it's one ball over the top. You get a bit of, you know, miscommunication between the keeper and centre-half. It goes out for a set piece and you put a decent ball in. Anyone's got a chance of scoring at any level. And I think he stood out really as someone that, is like, if you gave me the choice, you know, there's a, a long list of players you'd love to sign in January. But there is that fear that if you lose Lloris, who has had a real renaissance in the last 12 months, um, and I've been one of his biggest critics, um, that would give me huge cause for concern going forward. It's strange, isn't it? Like, quite how just bad Galini is, isn't it? Because... Uh, it obviously adds to the urgency of uh, of getting Hugo Lloris a new contract, but again, it, it casts sort of a bit of doubt over what what we are doing in terms of recruiting a, a successor for Lloris because Lloris can't go on forever. I mean, I know I know you're not his biggest fan anyway, but I'm sure you would still admit he's our number one by mm. quite a long stretch. Mm. But there does need to be that succession plan. It probably has needed to be there for the past couple of years now, really. And, it just isn't. There isn't much of a sign of it, is there? Even because I agree with you. I, th- I think Gazaniga. He he definitely wasn't good enough, but he's he's a far far sight better than than Galini's proved to be. And uh, it just it feels like one of those problems that Spurs kind of they don't they don't want to address. Right? It's I'm sure you've just seen the film. Don't look up. Right? You know the mm-hmm. kind of the comet in the sky. This is what this is what our kind of goalkeeping situation feels like to me at the moment, at least at Tottenham. Um, is there anyone you would you would say I mean do you do much do you know much in the way are you a data guy do you know much in the way of any viable candidates I'm, out there I'm very much not but I do remember when Cudicini was the sub goalie thinking quite weird to have a pretty moderate to poor older foreign keeper when there must be a younger keeper in League 1 or League 2 or the championship that you could sign and have him progress through to be your number one and like 13 years later, I find myself still mulling the same question and (laughs) and nothing has ever seemed to change. But so, you know, presumably considering they're all millionaires and billionaires running the club, they they must know something that I don't. But it does seem like a strange strategy, especially in the world of homegrown players where we have a shortage, that that's not a way you would target to get an easy A succession plan and B extra homegrown player in your team. Paul Lopez. So Paul Lopez is at Marseille now as well. So now he was doing quite well for Roma, wasn't he, for a while? I think mm-hmm. he was their number one. Um, and he's, uh, I don't know, it's, that that seemed to be like one of the first times I think I saw a sort of buy a youth team keeper to kind of, not a youth team keeper, but a kind of a young keeper to sit on the bench and perhaps take Luis's job one day. But we just didn't seem to get that one over the line, did we? I'm not sure how strong the appetite was either way. Um, mm. But I remember he was one of like Pochettino's little projects, wasn't he? But, yeah, I mean, I mean, so many weird keepers. Like Cesar, do you remember him in the like 2000, in the, in the Ramos years? Christ, I don't know if I do, actually. The really old Spanish keeper. I think he signed from Valencia. Um, oh Jesus! Yeah, yeah, I do remember this guy, Cesar we, Sanchez. 
Yeah, we just seem to have gone through just some bizarre goalkeepers. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, little bit worried about that one. Um, Let's. The rest of the team, I I didn't think like Rodon got some stick for, you know, underselling Gallini once, but I mean, it's not like we've never seen Eric Dyer do, you know, quite a similar thing. Um, and I, I really, I don't know what it is, but I really do think he could be a good player if he's given consistent time. I don't know why. Um, it's just a hunch. And you know, if Dyer is out for any prolonged period, I'd much rather see him play there and Sanchez stick to the right side of the centre half th- trio than Tanganga, who just just feels really shoehorned in at the moment and looks really low on confidence. And I certainly wouldn't trust. I'd, I'd rather that combination of Road on middle, Sanchez on the right than Sanchez middle, Tanganga on the right, certainly going into the next two games. It's funny because it's funny you say that. I'm probably almost the complete opposite of Rodon. And it's it's one of these kind of hunches that I base on fairly little other than the few sort of, the piecemeal times I've seen him mm-hmm. appear for Spurs. I've just been like, but I just, I just don't think he's that good. I think he looks a bit dopey and I think he looks a bit slow. But it, it, I can't really describe I thought he was actually, he did have that moment yesterday and I sort of rolled my eyes and was just like, oh, fucking hell, here we go. But... I thought he was actually all right, and he's, he's quite a bit quicker than I thought he was actually. Um, Rodon and I can't disagree with you on Tanganga, and it's it's. I find that quite sad to see in a way because I, when he after he'd made his kind of debut against Liverpool, mm-hmm. I was sort of secretly hoping that Tanganga was going to be quite a good player for us, mm-hmm. or at least you know a really viable, decent squad player. Um, I mean, I know everybody got a bit excited at first and there were sort of comparisons made to Ledley King and all that type of thing, which, you know, <laughs> in hindsight is a, a pretty bad take. But he just, oh, it's, it's, it's looked ugly, hasn't it, for him? Especially mm-hmm. at the Chelsea game. I thought he was going to burst into tears, you know, in the, in the, on the Wednesday night one. I mean, would you, would you sort of keep hold of Tangago or do you sort of look to move him on? Because he seems to be one of the players that's consistently kind of put forward as somebody that might go this this January. I think he's one of those players that is not going to work in the formation that Conte seemingly wants to mm. play. I think in a way and it, and it might be revisionism. I think when the season started and Tanganga had those few really good games at the start, we all said, well we don't need Tommy Asu because he's just a defensive right back and we've got Tanganga who can do that kind of job. Um that might be me kind of misrepresenting the general takes, but I, I do feel that we all thought that he was a decent defensive right back in a yeah. back four with a reggae on going forward on the other side. Um, but I don't feel that he fits either the wing back or the centre half role. Um, and if Wednesday night taught me anything about what I can vaguely glean from Conte's motives is this is how we're going to play and I'm going to get players to play it. And that's why he sort of eschewed the idea of going four at the back against Chelsea, which the, players he had available would suggest that's what we should have done and he's still stuck with the five um that said to me that like he is very very structured how he's going to play and we're going to sign players to fit that and I kind of feel like Tanganga, Ali, Brian Gill are the kind of players that are just never really going to work within that. He's a funny one Brian Gill isn't he because there's obviously quite a lot of talent there but I agree with you again I'm just like I don't, re- I don't really know where he fits. Because at first, I, I kind of thought he was just like a central midfielder. I hadn't really mm-hmm. realised it was like this kind of diminutive winger. Um, and I kind of... You know what? The, the funny thing about Brian Gillespie is I feel that he's the type of player that City would sign 
and they could just kind of drop him in here and there and slowly develop him and then all of a sudden two three years four years after they've signed him Pep just starts playing him and he looks amazing and he's just Mm. one of those kind of standard kind of city unflashy but really solid players that just wins them a title um but yeah, I agree with you. Like you say, I just I don't really see a great fit for him at all. I mean, he's a very young player. I'm not, I'm not really looking to sort of rush him out the door or anything. But if we did get offered all right money for him, maybe you would kind of because what's the talk already? Like not not long ago that I think Barca really wanted him, even though we'd only sort of signed him not long ago from Sevilla. I'm not sure. I mean, the. I actually have a bit of an issue with the way... Sorry, I'm going completely off track. No, here, go for it, mate. A bit, a bit of an issue with the way he's played Son and Mora in that, that kind of two, number 10 role behind Kane. I, I'm not convinced that gets the best out of either of them, whereas having two strikers with Son and Kane and one in behind, for me, seems a more natural fit. And I suppose if Gil was going to play anywhere, that semi-free role behind two strikers might be where he gets more success. Um, and again, maybe with Ali as well, as he did against Liverpool, he probably played his best game for a couple of years. Um, it's tricky. I, mean, I, I This is hugely reductive, but I generally don't love the idea of players in England who aren't very fast or very strong. Yeah. And he's kind of got neither. Like, not even quick. I mean, Declan Rice isn't necessarily quick, but he covers ground really Fast, he gallops, being, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. All of a sudden, he's there, and then he's there. Yeah. I think in the, last, in the last five minutes against uh, West Ham in the FA Cup, he picked the ball up in defence, and then all of a sudden, he was in the inside left position after what seemed like three seconds. And I don't know, Gil just doesn't strike me as the kind of player that you can play quick, direct football with. And there's no fault of his own, but it's a scouting thing, really. I, I, I don't really see how someone looked at him and thought that's a fit for England. It's, yeah, I don't know, but that seems to be sort of the... I don't know, I'm so torn between this because it seems to be just a problem we, we've had quite a lot recently um, with the players we're signing that it seems like there's a lot of thought behind them and it seems like in in so many ways a lot of these players should work out. But it's just it's it's been quite a few duds lately. And I know we can sort of bemoan our as you know the the managers we've had you know a, a pretty much a half dead Pochettino and then everyone on from that point until now as to why say certain players like Ndombele um might not have brought his best out or may not be I don't know in a <laughs> in a place mentally where he feels like he hasn't kind of <laughs> just signed for the European Cup finalists who then subsequently went and fell off a cliff um, but it, we're seeing Gil I mean Emerson Royale I, I've seen a lot of people at the moment say he's like dirge and I, I really don't think he's a terrible player agreed but nor do I think he's great you know and it's I, I think he could be a better player perhaps more in a central role if he was to play the right side of that centre three but that kind of his, his sort of how limited he is in the in the final third, in terms of delivering decent passes, might mean that you know. I mean, all the noises out of Tottenham seem to be that Conte doesn't really fancy him. Um, what do you do? You, I mean, you sort of say you agree. Do you? How do you feel about him overall? I think he's been like fine. Um, yeah. He certainly doesn't seem to be someone that deserves to have as much ire drawn towards him as other players. I mean, I do think there's a, a thing where 
Spurs put an unbelievable amount of pressure on their fullbacks or wingbacks mm. to both be the highest in attack and the deepest in defence. Um, I think someone like Trippier got a really rough end of that deal by having to do, you know, he had Ericsson playing inside right and so he ended up having to be the winger and the fullback and just couldn't do it. And we were so spoiled with someone like Kyle Walker who, you know, talk about galloping and eating up the ground quickly. I mean, there's never been a better example. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, when you have a barometer like that, you set your bar. You know, if when Kane leaves eventually, Kane will be the the bar that we hold all strikers up to, unfortunately, and that'll be a thankless task for yeah. whoever comes in. But you're so used to seeing someone do something so well that even a ten percent drop off can look bad. And I thought Trippier was fine. Um, no, better than fine. I thought he was a really good player for us. I agree. With the odd, I agree. With the odd Rick. Um, but he was never able to live up to that standard, and especially in a flagging team. He was one of the few that still had the legs to get up and down, but just couldn't do what was required. I honestly wouldn't have minded Trippier back this, this week. I agree. Though. Newcastle got him in now. I thought he would have been perfect for this system, but I kind of understand it, why people don't really want to go go back in that thing. But I definitely agree with you on that. I think, I don't know, There is, it is tough, isn't it? Because... I guess it's only now that the uh, the sort of dust is settling on the whole era that you probably really reflect on actually quite how good our team was under you know in the heady days of sort of you know 14 15 15 16 16 17 perhaps slightly after that as well but we really were a very good team and we were we were spoiled by the sort of quality we had there and thus yeah it's going to be tough for anybody to to live up to that I mean if you look at a team like Manchester United now you know they've they've still gone on and it probably in the past the funny thing is in their in the sort of worst decade they've had in you know since whenever the probably 80s again they are they've still won what I think they've won a, a Europa League they've won have they won an FA Cup I think they've won an FA Cup they won one in was it 2016 against Palace but I mean that's not not that you know still a fair bit ago but that that sort of success is something we'd all we'd all sort of dine out on for quite a long time, and we do really. If you look at kind of what we have won in our recent history, but for a team like United, it just isn't enough, is it? You know, and that's that's kind of what we are faced with with a lot of our players. I mean, like you're saying there, Harry Kane, the thankless task of anyone following him. I mean, Harry Kane's thankless task is sort of trying to keep up with his own legacy at the moment, <laughs> right? And it's it, it, a lot of what he. I, I do get it. I get why people are annoyed with him, but I think a lot of still what he brings to the team is massively kind of undervalued. And that's that's mm-hmm. not just... I don't think that's just a Spurs fan thing. I think we've both seen in summer a lot of those kind of like neutral galaxy brain type takes of like Daniel Levy's an idiot he should have taken <laughs> he should have taken Manchester City's whatever it was 70 million for Harry Kane and I mean the reality is just <laughs> why you know you, Tottenham can't be doing that unless do you do you, do you have any perspective on that at all Adam actually? well I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the press would have been so uh so praiseworthy of us if Harry Kane scored 50 goals for Man City and we finished 12th. Like, well, no, at least they did, the, they did the right thing by selling Harry Kane because we always get praised so widely for our uh, our ability to sell players. Yeah, I mean, that would have been a, a ringing endorsement all round. I'm sure it would have been, especially for Daniel, because Daniel Levy, he's so loved by the press as well. Of course, so, of course. You know, they give him such fair fair treatment at all times. <laughs> um, let's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the elephant in the room, so let's get on to it. Um, the, the booing of... Tangi and Dombali. So yesterday, you know, I was I was watching the game and I heard it start and then it obviously became clear that it, it was growing as he was kind of 
walking off the pitch. And I don't know, I just... I, I, I tweet because, you know, I was, I was, I'd had a, a couple of beers and stuff and it's just, it's Twitter, you know, you just say whatever's on your mind. Mm-hmm. I just said something like That's what you know. it's there for. Exactly. And no one should apologise for that. Exactly. It's just like, you know, I'll booing our players, fuck off. Just kind of like a, oh, I can't be arsed it. Stop, you know, it's just a, whatever, you know, let's just not start going down this route yet. We've got Antonio Conte and he's, a, you know, he's a good manager. We're hopefully going to be doing good things. Let's not start fucking the, the doomsdaying at the moment. Um, but then obviously that turns into, oh, you're a Tanga and Dombele apologist and all this type of thing. I mean, for full disclosure, I'm absolutely fed up with the bloke. And I, I do think there's a lot of good there. But is it enough good to be a kind of a top class Premier League footballer? I don't know. Um, I don't think his attitude's great at all time. I mean, we've had obviously a, a, a big line of managers now who are not happy with him or not taken by him at all. Um, so it just seems like right that that he should go. I mean, I, I, I don't. The thing is, I don't. I don't really like the whole idea of like policing what other fans do. And I probably, mm-hmm. yeah, in retrospect, probably shouldn't have tweeted it. But you know, it's just it is what it is, isn't it? I think you know, and people get very angry though. People straight away, and they people often they just assume immediately. Well, you weren't there then, were you? You weren't there, were you? And it's like <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter if I was or not. But you know, I'm allowed. You're allowed to have an opinion on on something. Um, I mean, you you're not as asked about the booing. I mean, because I, I do get it. I do get people's argument that how are fans supposed to let people know? Yeah, how are we supposed to let Daniel Levy know how we felt about the Nuno era? And mm-hmm. you know, I I kind of do feel it's different, but I I understand there's a there's a there is a level of double standards to that. So, you know, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, it's probably not so different, and they probably both are extremely harsh on the individual that you're doing it to. Mm. Um, and I think with Nuno, it was very unfortunate that it had to end that way because, by all accounts, he does seem like he was a nice guy or whatever. But you know, fan, fans live for their football team. Like we are unhealthily devoted to our team, and it's not maybe the best thing in the world. But you know, we've spent our lives like willing this team to win and it's so exasperating when they're not and especially when they're not in in a way because what you think is their own flaws and their own, and their own faults and I think the Nuno booing was probably the booing of the situation I mean I was apoplectic in June when he got the job to be honest and I think I tweeted out like I'm just so sad because sad stupid word but I'm so upset about this because it for me the next good Tottenham team is two years away um, maybe they've accelerated that. And I think with Ndombele, it is 
a shame for the individual. To, I mean, imagine being booed by 40,000 people. It would be one of the most horrific. You know, never, I'd never recover. Um, but I guess with him, like, it's either going to mean that he leaves, in which case, shame it didn't work out, or by some maybe minor miracle, it motivates him to turn himself around. And, you know, it's the first time he's faced such scrutiny. I think that's probably a bit of a utopian view, but... It's 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 not a right thing to do, I suppose. And I, I guess the only defence is that how it, how regularly have you ever seen Spurs fans do that? I mean, I've been going for nearly thirty years now, and I can't recall on more than you know fingers on one hand that ever happening to Spurs players. So there's a desperation to it that, whilst probably not defendable, we, uh, you know, we're not we're not giving death threats to Xhaka every three months no. and asking for him to be the captain a month later five times a year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it, yeah, and I do get it. And I, I just who's going to take him, mate? Who who is going to take Ndombele? This is I think this is the 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 question right now. Hmm. I mean, but he's not that bad. No, he's not. I don't think he is. But it's just obviously not. It's not working out, is it? In a, and you kind of feel like we might be able to get some decent money for him because he, he clearly just doesn't want to be there. Hmm. I think, but I mean, but what? So you don't you don't particularly think there's a massive urgency to 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 biff him off? I would I would very much like to see him sold for the main reason that in if someone's not in the plans and they're earning a lot of money and they are the focus of a lot of attention. Mm. I just don't think it's helpful from a yeah in in the same way almost as when Danny Rose was there and he sort of stuck around for eighteen months and he's always in the conversation and, and there'll always be people that say Rose should be playing but he's never going to play and I almost don't think it's that helpful to have players around like that so I think if Ndombele can be moved on as much as the fact that you can save nearly a million quid a week a month on on wages if they're able to to reclaim that um, and like you know. Let's, just, let's try and be humane about it. You know, if, if a guy's going through a rough time in a bad situation, get him out of there and make try and let him be happy somewhere else. I think. Yeah, it's because yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, again, I don't. I, I, I'm not buying the kind of stuff that he is. He's all bad. That he's awful. A lot of it is though, isn't it? It's this. It's a couple of years of frustration of how how widely kind of lauded his talent was and how mm-hmm. exciting a transfer it seemed to be. He seemed to be kind of like this is sort of at that time the perfect signature for us to kind of really to kick on and make another kind of like charge towards being in those sort of like title races and things like that that we'd seen previously under Pochettino but it's still it just it just sort of hasn't transpired that way um do you remember his debut in the Audi Cup in Munich I, I don't know actually was he any good at, I, I just I remember him against Villa that the Premier League debut and he was decent in that but what, what, what? I remember him coming on and uh, maybe some people will remember this he came on against maybe it was Bayern Munich or Juventus or whoever he played in that competition and um, my dad called and was like oh, how do you play it's like yeah languid looks pretty languid uh, which is what you try and probably the, the adjective that you use for someone that clearly can't run but you're trying to defend them as, as much as possible because you've pinned all your hopes in this 65 yeah. million pound signing um, and probably Berbatov's the only player to ever actually be okay with being languid um, and ultimately I don't know just that the profiling of Ndombele just seems all wrong and I was talking to some mates earlier today that it's so bizarre that Pochettino would have rejected someone like Tielemans, who, if you look at his Premier League career, 
uh, you know, since joining Leicester, would have been like the perfect Dembele replacement for us. But then, by all accounts, Ndombele was the one that he wanted, and it just doesn't make any sense because you know you could watch him for ninety minutes or sixty if you're lucky, and just think this guy just isn't right for this, is he? Pochettino's legendary grasp on, <laughs> on yeah. new signings, isn't it? Love, <laughs> love him as I do, but you know, it's... Uh... Well, we had that one back Poch summer and we ended up selling Trippier for a third of his value in signing in Don Belay and Lacelso. So maybe that hashtag should be buried forever, uh, even if he comes back. Yeah. I d- would you have him back? Yeah, he's daddy. Yeah, he is, isn't he? I've never, yeah. I, you see, I've never really known how you, how you fully were on how fully sort of in on Poch. Obviously, everyone loved him to a degree, but like how much the... There was there or not? Um, well, I mean, I'm 34, so he would have joined when I was 26, 27, I yeah. suppose. It, and I mean that those are kind of really formative years. You, you probably have periods as a football fan that shape how your fandom goes, and I think those years, you know, 25 to 30, where you probably are able to go to more games and don't have quite as many responsibilities as going on. They're so formative for you that you know he he. If I could, if we could have just—I know everyone says this—if we could have just had like a day in the sun with a bit of silver to show for it, it would have been just the most perfect half decade you could ever wish to imagine. I, I can't go back there again. I know, I, I know, just, I, I know. I, I'm I sorry to honestly, even bring it literally up. Literally, nearly every single podcast I bring up the Champions League final. You know, it just yeah. it's 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 still so bizarre that we didn't get anything over the line though, isn't it? That Pochettino team. Because we're, we're there yeah. now, we're doing it now, so we might as well talk about it. Cause I just, I, right, I still, clear your diaries. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. <laughs> I still can't believe it. And I mean, this surely, because I mean, he's sort of referenced it many times, this must be, what it must be weighing on Conte's mind, the fact that we have to, we have to get something over the line. And that's why I wasn't even that against the, I know most people hated the Europa Conference League, but I just sort of saw it as like, we can actually, and we mm-hmm. should, just piss this competition. We really should. It is, it is a glorified Audi Cup, you know, like it's it's something that we should win and... Obviously, that didn't that didn't work out. I mean, well, it remains to be seen. Actually, you know, it's still still potentially uh, we've still got grounds to appeal it, so we've still got time. Um, oh, imagine how that would annoy people if we got in through the courts and then won it. <laughs> you, I mean, you'd rather have that than the Champions League, let's be honest. Probably, yeah. Especially if we still went on to beat Roma in the final as well. Yeah, like, that absolutely. Would be, be pretty tidy. Um, but I mean, our chances of silverware this year. Because I mean, Brighton next round. I mean, we don't need to worry about that. But obviously, the 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 nasty fixture in our headlights now is Chelsea. Mm. Um, I mean, are you are, are you at all hopeful? I mean, um, as we were saying last Wednesday, I went to that Spurs Real Madrid game thinking if we can get one before twenty. And then me 2 0 up at half time. I'm talking about when we were 4 0 down going into the second leg uh, under Harry Redknapp. So 2 0 is, uh, you know, child's play in comparison to that, especially with no away goals. Um, but you know what will happen. We'll probably score after about half an hour, miss three absolute sitters, and then like Timo Werner will spring the offside trap on the 80th minute and send us all home uh, in tears again, as, as always seems to happen against Chelsea in these semi finals. But. Um, look, we, we really shat the bed last week because I think even a performance of competence would have given us, at worst, a 1-0 defeat. But you, you, know, you, could, 
you're asking a lot to spend half of a semi-final playing that badly uh, and come out of it going through. Yeah, I mean, it was a strange one, wasn't it? Because I, I completely take on board, and obviously you have to um, take on board the fact that Chelsea are they're a powerhouse, much as we hate to admit it. Um, and the money they've spent assembling their side is significant. And they've just you know, they've obviously just won the European Cup, and we never win at fucking Stamford Bridge anyway. But there was still something quite disappointing about our lack of. I don't know. Again, I get it. It's, it's all the proper football manisms, right? It's the lack of kind of fight and the lack of kind of tenacity about any of our play. And it does just feel like we still kind of shrink it in these games. But again, like I sort of refer back to what you were saying at the top. Conte's not been here long and it's a work in progress, right? We are, mm-hmm. we have to build forwards from this. And I mean, I don't. I don't. I honestly don't think we learn a lot from playing teams like Chelsea and Liverpool. Really, at the moment, in a sort of team that is being rebuilt, um, because you'd, you'd expect we're going to be signing at least a couple of players this January. I don't. I don't think there's going to be a wholesale, a massive amount in. But all the noises and everything would suggest that we, you know, whether it's going to be a Dharma Traore or someone like that coming in. We do seem to need a couple of bodies. I mean, you know, one of the ones I really want, mate, I just want like a, even if it's like a 35-year-old, whatever, just a body, some old Italian striker. <laughs> we just need somebody. Like, we need an, another option up there. I mean, is is, is Lorente still kicking about? Can we can we bring him back? Like, Must be. He must I mean, be in immaculate shape, regardless of what he does. Uh, he was somebody I always, you know, like we were talking about with Trippier, I always felt he was off-derided in his time with us. And I... I I thought he was all right for the most part. You know, when he was called upon, he, did, he usually did an all right job. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, sack him off. I mean, do you do? You, it's Tottenham, Chelsea, right? We've got. I mean, I, I get that the temptation is there for people to just say, just sack it off and concentrate on the league. We've got Arsenal at the weekend. We need to be fresh, but we've got to take it to Chelsea, right? In a in a, in a cup semi final, and bring <laughs> basically in terms of bringing our best players, bringing our best players to the fore. Yeah, hundred percent. As much as much as it's good for these players to play against the best teams together, um, you know they wouldn't have played much on Sunday. Um, yeah, there's five days until the Arsenal game after this one, give or take. So yeah, I mean they owe it to themselves. They have to start winning big games. Um, and even if you win two one and you leave it all out there, you know that's fine. That that, that, that that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's totally fun. I mean, and you'd hope as well this could be a chance for Harry Kane to kind of get this, you know, because he's kind of starting to carry this tag now that he disappears in these big important games. Mm. Um, and it could be, you know, let's be honest, it'd be, be a lovely opportunity for him to uh, to prove people otherwise on that front. Um, I'm just, I don't know, mate. I'm I'm in a I'm in quite a uh, quite a sort of. I find it quite almost like I would go as far as to say like quite a bipolar place with Tottenham because I will I will go into it some like some weeks just thinking like we're all right you know we got Conte in charge and we're going to sign a couple of players and he'll improve a few of the players that we we've, we've got here and then other times I'm still just like Christ he's 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 going to leave you know he's going to get sort of fed <laughs> up that we're not going to be able to develop enough players quickly enough we're not going to be able to shift enough of the players quickly enough that we maybe need to. Um, and 
we don't you know contrary to the kind of like the uh, the popular belief that we should be sort of spending in in sort of tandem with teams like Manchester City and Chelsea we don't have that spending power and we do actually we we have now for the past couple of years spent a lot of money mm. um which doesn't kind of play well into the narrative around sort of the club and how we do spend money um but I'm st- I'm still just not sure. I'm I'm not really sure what I want from this season, to be honest. Other than you know, obviously for Tottenham to to win something and be successful and get into the top four. So I suppose that is what I want from this season. But I mean, what what does sort of represent success to you at the moment, mate, for for Tottenham? Because I mean, do, do you know what I'm saying? Does does it mm. feel to you like we're still kind of in this transition, really, that we're somewhere between two places? Well, I mean, imagine after that West Ham game. Obviously, the United game was a complete catastrophe. But the week before, we lost to West Ham, didn't we? Uh, in Nuno's penultimate league game. And imagine even saying then that, like, yeah, like come March, April, you'd be well within the race for the top four. Um, you wouldn't have even allowed yourself to entertain the thought. And I am trying to retain that when I think about what do I want for the rest of the season? Because there does need to be a little bit of realism of where we were and the job of the manager will be... I mean, if, if we get in the top four this year, then it's it will be the greatest manage, managed, not a word, but you know what I'm trying to say, uh, season that we've ever had. Like, if he's able to turn what we had into, into that, it would be incredible. Um, and as I say, if it just wasn't for those pricks down the road, I could, I could just sort of allow myself to think, right, August 2022, we'll be ready. Um, which I think is, is what we should aspire to. Because it is a has to be a slightly longer term thought. I mean, the manager said that himself, and he should be the one, if anything, that's trying to you know big people up for now. Um, so there, there is part of me that thinks we should just look to be good in August 2022. But if we get to a stage where we can play one game a week, we do have a good first eleven, which is studded with some fantastic players, uh, and as a result, we can win the majority of games that we play in. Um, yeah. And if you win the games you should win, you know, it's not that hard to get in the top four, as ridiculous as it sounds. You just need to win the... just You just can't lose to Palace away. And we, you know, we've done that now, so we've, you've made it up with beating Man City at home. Like just, You have to go and beat Burnley away, Brighton away, Leicester away if you can. And like, and if you pick up... An, as daft as it sounds, you pick up the points that you should pick up, you're, you'll find yourself there or thereabouts almost by default. Yeah, it's... it's... It's horrible to see, kind of, uh, like you're saying, like you could enjoy it more if Arsenal weren't sticking around. But not only them, West Ham as well, who could I've never s- felt much of a. I've never cared about West Ham for some reason, but but no, go on. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, not at all, mate. I mean, speak freely. I, I I know what you mean. I think now that they're kind of getting better, though, I'm definitely feeling it more. And I think it's more just because of how I don't know, just unpleasant a club I think they are, really, mm-hmm. and how they've often been. I just I can't really stand the. The idea of them getting there, but maybe we should get used to it. I don't know. I think United as well. They're not. Um, they're not obvious. I know people want to sort of talk about Wreck It Ralph, <laughs> Wreck It Ralph, and everything like <laughs> that with Randy in charge. But you know, they've they've got a squad that should be doing a lot better than it is. Where, mm. You know, albeit it's kind of it seems to be chaos behind the scenes there. They're all sort of revolting against. Cristiano Ronaldo now was the last kind of thing I was reading about what they're up to. So it is there for the taking for Spurs, isn't it? And I just, I want to be back in it, you know, the Champions mm-hmm. League. I loved it. I loved every second of it when we were in there and I always have done. And it, it 
you know, I think it, it potentially is quite easy to take for granted at times. You know, sometimes when you get the kind of in the group stages and you get whatever a few of the sort of the lesser Champions League sides, but you should just enjoy every second of that because that's given us, I'd probably say, as Spurs fans, because I'm a similar age, I'm 36. Mm-hmm. And I would say in our, in our lifetimes, you know, be it the Red Nap sort of year or the Pochettino years as well in the Champions League, it's some of my best memories of Tottenham, really, being in the Champions League. Mm. Um, and it would just be would just be nice to uh, to get back there, obviously. Um, so, mate, any anything else? Any any burning sort of desires? Anything that you want to get off your chest, Tottenham related or otherwise? You know, it's, it's a it's a free platform here. <laughs> I'm sure you've listened before. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm pr- probably have been accused of being quite a straw man for Daniel Levy in the past. Um, and I think my argument has always been that if you get to that many cup finals and that many semi-finals, the construction of the squad can't be that bad because you don't you don't get into those by luck. And unfortunately, we've not been able to get over the line in those big games, which is where we have lacked maybe the bounce of the ball, a bit of experience uh, or whatever. Um, but I do think that when people are going bananas now about, you know, Conte's going to leave this month if we don't spend any money... Again, maybe this is because I'm a, a Levy fan, in inverted commas, whatever that even means. I just don't think he's a prick, um, which is probably would, would put me on the you know top 10% of, of Spurs fans in terms of uh, how people view him. I don't think he's stupid enough to hire Antonio Conte and expect the way that things have gone to remain the status quo. Um, quite aside from the fact that, as you say, we've spent a lot of money in the last three years, just spent it badly, unfortunately. So I, I am quite calm about this idea that you know, they're just going to let Conte down because I think if they did let Conte down and if Conte wasn't able to win at Spurs because of the conditions in place from upstairs, I think that would be the end of a lot of fans our age in being able to relate to what Enoch are trying to do and I think a lot of us would step away. Yeah, because it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I think we've all a lot of us in varying degrees have had sort of wobbles with Levy and the stewardship of the club and everything. I mean, certain I think at pinch points, I think the ones where I've sort of most lost my ass was the kind of like Nelson and Saha time, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, probably you know the I know we were building a stadium, but still a couple of windows without investment. Mm-hmm. I probably was starting to get a bit pissed off at that point, but I think it's. I still think most most people I speak to, when you really sort of break it down, it's undeniable the job that Levy has done at Tottenham. I mean, the the, the funny thing is, like we're kind of we're, we're talking about at the moment, as you say, being annoyed that we haven't won a Champions League final or we haven't won a Premier League and such. But before he came in, you know, this this wasn't even. I, I've sort of I've spoken about it at length on here many times in that. My experience as a Tottenham fan growing up, I would have just dreamed of us being even in the in the mm. Champions League. You know, just it was it seemed something that would be so. It wasn't for us. No, it just it it, it was never going to happen. In the same way that you know, I mean, it, it's hard now because we've shifted the bar up so much. But it, it would almost be similar to sort of saying now that you know Tottenham could go on a on a winning streak and sort of catch up maybe with the likes of United, Liverpool and everything like that in terms of silverware or something like that. You know, to me, that just seems something that's completely alien and it, it won't ever happen. But then you don't know what happens in, in 30, 40 years time. It's a long time, you know, Spurs could have won a lot of stuff in that time. So 
I, I sort of digress a bit there, uh, but Daniel Levy's not. Uh, he's got a lot of credit in the bank at the moment, right? Like he he acted decisively. Like he sacked. He he had a bit of him and Paratici. I mean, it's hard to know how much it's split between the two of them now in terms of who's making the calls in the first place. But you know, we had that sort of farcical managerial search in the summer. We brought in. Nuno Espirito Santo and he he has acted I don't think you can say anything other than Daniel Levy has acted decisively and in the best interests of the club Uh, I mean people can speculate on that all they want to you know oh he's he's only doing that because of the the brand it's it's better for the brand and they want whatever it doesn't matter the the net good of this is that Nuno Espirito Santo wasn't working he's hired what one of the the top five managers in world football Mm. um so this idea, yeah, I agree with you, this idea that like he's he's not, as much as people love to sort of continue to say this, like he's stupid or something, I mean, he, he quite he quite obviously isn't, is he? So, I mean, he's not going to be bringing in somebody like Antonio Conte and not backing him. Um, my only worry is that like, you know, if we, if we do get into, again, like, you know, any sort of protracted deals around players that Antonio Conte particularly wants, or if... I mean, it, uh, the one thing I will say about Conte that I've noticed from his press conferences is that um, we all sort of obviously knew this anecdotally, but he is quite, um, he's quite dramatic, isn't he? I mm-hmm. think, and you can see why he has sort of flounced from pretty much every club that he has managed um, when he's had sort of blips in the road. And I think that will always concern me uh, uh at Spurs with him that you know you you can sit down in meetings and be as kind of as uh, as sort of grown up as you like in terms of about the fact that yeah we don't have the spending power of Chelsea and Manchester City but he looked personally quite embarrassed the other night at Stamford Bridge you know and you can understand it he's going back to his old stomping ground a club that he sort of left pretty acrimoniously Um, but I do worry if like you know the project if you like, or whatever. I mean, he's, he, let's not forget he's not really a project manager, is he? But mm-hmm. um, if the project doesn't sort of take off in a, in a, with the sort of speed or in a way in which he'd hope it would, um, if he is going to sort of be a manager, it goes. But I don't know. You can't really live your life in fear like that, can you? No. Yeah. And, and also, none of it has helped. You know, there's a lot of really good that comes from social media and certainly sports social media. You meet some fantastic people off the back of it but just the the transfer discourse it, it just so damaging to teams that can't afford to just spend whatever they want because you've only got to get one idiot like Romano tweeting about you know Spurs aren't sure if they want to sign this player and then there's 15,000 quote retweets about how there's no ambition at the club and it may not even be a deal that's happening but you start you know getting it into people's heads that this is that and that's that and it just changes how people view so many things. I mean, not to go uber football man and, you know, wish you could wake up and read about the transfers in the tomorrow's papers, but you do feel like we're we're past the point of no return where there's just no rationality about transfers now. And, and for some people, the season almost becomes July to September and January as opposed to what's happening in the actual games. Um, and I think that has actually damaged my enjoyment of football quite a lot. Yeah, it's... It's, it, I agree with you because it's it's just it, it's become ridiculous, hasn't it? In terms of like you saw, you, you've even seen like after the sort of the past couple of years they've had, 
there were a lot of Liverpool fans booting off because they hadn't sp- dropped whatever 100, 150 mil on how many players. And I'm not sort of doing this in a way of just being like, oh, that's what Liverpool are like. I, I just, like you say, I think it's an indictment on kind of modern fans and at least the way modern football is now that there is this whole fanfare, isn't there? There is mm-hmm. this kind of like idea that to be to be successful you have to spend loads and loads and loads of money on massive players. I think a lot of it, I mean, this is definitely me going full old man shouts at cloud type stuff, but a lot of it's like the gamification of football, isn't it? With FIFA mm-hmm. Ultimate Team and all that type of thing, the way in which it's it's the shiny new thing, isn't it? And that's that's what we've always got to have. But it it, it is funny in a, in a in so much as the sort of the greatest success Tottenham have had probably in the past, well... In, in in a lot of our history since we at least were winning stuff in the 80s again is from teams that were assembled as a mixture of youth teams and smart acquisitions, aren't they? Which, you know, you, 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 people are always going to argue that we didn't actually win anything during that time. But at the same time, you know, we had a good laugh, didn't we? And that's, I think, I'm, I'm sort of of that school of thought that mm-hmm. as much as it would be nice to win something, it doesn't mean that the experience is completely meaningless otherwise, you know, because that Champions League run was probably the best time of my life, you know. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I was lucky enough to be in Barcelona, Dortmund and Amsterdam for those three games in that run. And there's nothing that I would swap, you know, certainly Amsterdam for, for anything. That's, I mean, maybe the 84 Cup Final, which in those videos does look amazing, like winning a European trophy at White Hart Lane. That's the one thing I'm really jealous of both my parents that they were at that, that I wasn't. But outside of that, I don't think there's a game in Spurs' history that I would swap that Amsterdam for. And we've won eight FA Cups. Exactly. I mean, that's that for Spurs, that's as close to like an Aguero moment as, mm. as we're going to get, right? I mean, well, we don't know. We don't know what the future holds, but... For this point in time, anyway, it, it seems unimaginable. Seems unimaginable until it happens, mate. So that's, that's, Indeed, that's the thing. Um, but yeah, thanks. Uh, I hope that's you know. We, we've covered it all. We've, I, we've, I we've settled all hash. Yeah, I think so, mate. I think so. Um, it's been good to have you on, though, mate. We'll have to get you on again, actually. Anytime. It's, yeah, it's been good. You got you got a good microphone as well, mate. I quite like, it sends your your dulcet tone. If you don't mind me saying, like you've got you've got an incredible voice, Adam. Like, Thank you. Yeah, dulcet tones and it's I don't know audio audio caramel. Should we put it that way? I'm, I'm an event caterer by trade, and given that that entire industry has gone completely up the shits, maybe uh, professional podcasting with, with my tones. If, if anyone would ever pay me to listen to me talk about complete rubbish, which is never going to happen now that the words come out of my mouth, so you know I'm gonna have to backtrack immediately. But what a great shame. <laughs> You what could still do voiceovers. You don't know. That's true. That's, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Um, all right. Well, you can you can follow Adam at Adam D Nathan um, on Twitter. Is there anything else you want to put, plug? Plug whatever you want, mate. Go on, now's the time. No, nothing to plug. I mean, certainly wouldn't plug my own Twitter feed if you've got any. Uh, don't want to waste your own time reading my my ramblings. But it'd be a pleasure to to engage with anyone uh, that fancies it. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.